Sloppy Spoilers with your host, DT2. What's up, y'all? It's DT2 Comics Chat. Welcome to another episode of Sloppy Spoilers, which I'm seriously considering renaming Celluloid Puke. Just kidding. But not really, but kind of. So we're going to review Alien Covenant, the last you know film in the Alien franchise. And I honestly have been working for a while to try to come up with some summative statements to really kind of describe how this film left me feeling and kind of like my take on it. So as always, my co-host, you know, we've got uh, very perspectives, very excited about talking to them about it. So let's get them in. We're going to say welcome to David Nemesis Howard. What's up, Dave? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, yeah, I'd like to say I'm excited about talking about this movie. I'm uh, excited to talk to you guys. That's going that's to leave it at that. Um, we're going to have a good time um, hanging out. The yeah. film is an excuse. Yeah, because uh, I will be honest, it took me two years to finish this movie. I, I It was this show that was the, the impetus for me to finish it. So let's do it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> let's give a welcome to Steve Shadewing Sellers. What's going on, Steve? I uh, just trying to survive after watching this movie. I, I despise Alien Covenant. Um, I know I've talked about that like a number of times in the past few weeks, but this movie absolutely is trying to be the best of, of all, try to take the best out of all the Alien free, uh, previous movies. And uh, instead we got the worst of them. And it doubles down on the worst problems with Prometheus on top of that, in addition to the stupidity of everything going on in this film. And, and I will say, the only thing I'm looking forward to is, is venting about how bad this movie is because it's terrible. Now that was being generous. That ought to tell you something. Let's welcome to Jeff, Dr. Faze Bracey. All right. Um, I will not be championing this film the way that I did AVP2 or Prometheus. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the only thing I enjoyed about Covenant was David and Walter. That's it. So I'm happy to talk yeah. about that, but I'm going to burn this barn down with the rest of you this time. Now, as many of you know, if you don't know, just hang out on my Twitter timeline. You know that uh, my gut doesn't lie to me, and I will be the first out there to come with where I'm feeling from there. And everybody will rag on me and everybody will try to correct me. And no, David, you can't say that and blah, 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 blah. Since I was five years old. Okay. Still don't care. Been a long time since I was five. Still don't care because my gut doesn't lie to me. So I've been trying to come up with, again, some summative statements. And I have two. And then I'm going to throw it out to my clothes. My first summative statement is something I've said previously, and that is that the 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 hype the mythology the legend the lore the scope of the world created within the alien franchise is huge it has so many different stories to be told it has so much yet to explore it's rare that you come up with a movie monster that maintains its mystery and its allure over the course of these many films 
that means that there's more there to explore, more places to go. And we were talking before the pod and I said, have you ever met like one of your heroes or somebody you really admire or somebody that lived up to the hype? It's wonderful. It's like when I met Timothy Zahn. I, Timothy Zahn was the coolest dude. I was like, because I love his work and I, you know, and he was just really friendly and talking about stuff he had coming up and and just talked to me like we've known each other for a while. And that was so awesome to find somebody that successful and that creative and someone who just about single-handedly saved Star Wars. And all of us longtime Star Wars fans know how true that is. If it weren't for the Zahn books, but that's another pot. I met him and he was the coolest dude. He was just so cool. See, when somebody lives up to the hype, it's great. And you want to follow even more of their work. But when they don't live up to the hype and you meet them and you're disappointed and you come away feeling like, wow, that's not who I thought you were. You're very hurt and disappointed. Well, number one, that's what this movie is. This movie is, it makes the hype and legend it's built on extremely small and the aliens and their world is not small. This is far too small, even if you call it a prequel or origin, whatever, this is far too small for what they are. That's number one. Here come number two. And this is why can't nobody talk me out of this. This movie proves once and for all that the first two movies had it right. Because this movie is a retread of the first movie. Let that hit. Just let that hit. Died Ripley, you know, uh, 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 ugly chestburster scenes, uh, people not knowing what they're doing, flamethrowers blowing it out into space. What are we dealing with? That whole thing, it's a retread. It might be packaged in different clothes, but it's not, you know, the spore idea might be new, but with everything that could have happened between the engineers and all this different kind of stuff and the beats they hit come from the first two movies, that's your proof that there was nothing expansive about this, that it just made it small, okay? That's my 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 position. That's why I'm planting my flagpole and I'm staying right there, but I'm definitely gonna uh, love hearing what my co-hosts have to say because, I, you know, as much as I love this franchise and we've all done all the extra reading and looking at all the other stuff and Dark Horse, everything about Dark Horse, they did it better. They took what the movies gave us and they expanded it in many different ways that that this movie is, is just far too small and it proves that there aren't any new ideas in circulation that everything we've seen is a retread of something that was introduced in the first two films okay that's my position so let me hear your general thoughts start with nemesis um yeah i definitely agree with you especially the last third of the film is is Alien. It's the first Alien movie, um, except that it takes place on a ship called Covenant, you know, and then there's the chestburster scene down on the planet. I mean, that is exactly what it is. That's exactly what's going on, um, even to the point where they're closing the, the doors behind her. It's the same as, you know, closing the air vents behind Dallas. It was exactly the same. It was striking how similar it was. It was like, if you wanted to rip off your own movie, congratulations, you just did it. <laughs> Um, the second thing is for me, the biggest disappointment, and, and I talked a little bit about this beforehand, and this is what I really wanted to get out, um, about these two movies is that the marketing around these movies, uh, and 
you know, marketing is a, is a weird thing. It's usually driven by the studio, but the, the production team does have some say in it, was that these movies were the sequel to Alien. Okay, that's fine. But if it's going to be the sequel to Alien, you need to get me up to Alien, you know? And so Prometheus had almost nothing to do with Alien at all, except they have Waylon in it, you know, and, and we had some other stuff. So then when this movie comes around, I'm expecting to at least be pointed in the direction of LV-426. And it never happened. It never happened. Not only that, on the Nostro- when the Nostromo landed, they said that that engineer ship was ancient. Now that could just be them saying it looked ancient or a bit weathered or something like that. But it just begs a lot of questions for me. It's like, how in the world did an engineer ship with the, you know, according to the lore now, if we followed Revenant and everything, with the uh, fully evolved form, the xenomorph and its eggs end up on LV-426 with a chest burster out of an engineer. I don't know. I don't think I'll ever know. And that is frustrating as hell to me. And that pretty much sums up, you know, my overall feelings about this movie beyond the fact that, you know, there's all sorts of problems is frustrated because it's like, I wanted to know more. I bought your product to know more and I don't know more. And that infuriates me as a fan. Oh, you're, you're muted, Dave. Dave, you're muted. DT. Uh, especially like you said, is if, if it's billed as a prequel and uh, the promise and the premise is that it's everything that led up to what we saw, then it's exactly as you said, it should at least, at the very least, lead us up to what we saw. But anyway, uh, go ahead, Steve. Uh, summative thoughts, general thoughts. Yeah, I have a couple of things. Um, one of them is kind of related to what you've already been talking about. And that is the damage that this movie does to the lore. And it manages to do it on two fronts. Not just one set of lore, two of them. So uh, we've already talked about how the alien lore has been utterly ruined. But also everything set up by Prometheus was utterly ruined. uh, Because we have the main character from Prometheus killed off in the manner similar to Alien 3. I I can't believe they did this twice. And, and, And on top of that. The character of David uh, in this movie is not recognizable to the character of David that we saw in the first movie. Uh, And even if you might find a way to explain it, you know, that's doing the work of the movie and I don't want to do that. Um, And (laughs) so we have all of that in addition to that. Um, You have things that are, you know, kind of hinted at, but not really explained. I mean, it's all absolutely terrible. And I will tell you that it connects to my other problem, which is um, our, when we discussed Prometheus last time, um, the thing that we really talked about was that ultimately it was attacked on uh, to the alien stuff. And that made the Prometheus stuff, which was the interesting movie and the movie that Ridley Scott wanted to make, it made it worse. And so what ended up happening is, is that uh, because that movie didn't uh, succeed um, for either because of studio interference or because, you know, Ridley was like reading the tea leaves or whatever, um, they decided, OK, we're going to make this more of an alien film and go back to horror. That is the last thing you should be doing when following up Prometheus, the last thing. So they doubled down on what didn't work in the first movie and they made it worse. And in addition to all of that, you have some of the most stupid characters I have ever seen in a science fiction movie. And, and I do, and you know, and that is not hyperbole. The, I really have a hard time finding, you know, a character that has made worse decisions than the captain in this movie. It's just one glaring example. So you have all of these things combining 
to form a perfect storm of terrible. I mean, there's just no getting around it. And I'm generally very, very, um, shall I say, nice to movies and trying to look for things to find good in it. <laughs> yes, the only things that I can find that I liked were the prologue, um, the fact that Ridley Scott shot it well, and Michael Fassbender is really great in it. That's it. Everything else is terrible. Well, once again, once again, one of the worst decisions, one of the worst tropes established killing a character that survived a previous film in a gruesome manner for no real reason. So we're going to talk about that in detail because that was another thing that just had me. But it's just <laughs> another proof of what I'm talking about is what I'm going to be saying during this whole broadcast. Every idea is a retread, which is your proof that the first two Okay, we're the only original things going on, and ever since then, it's been a downhill slide. Go ahead, Jeff. What do you think? Okay, um, man, I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> Covenant, Covenant should have been. It should have been like Alien, or like, it should have been Covenant subtitle subcredit like an Alien story or an Alien universe story. You know, like, you know, Solo, a Star Wars story. It should have been framed like that. And then Ridley Scott could have really done what he wanted to do, I think. Uh, but as we discussed last time, there were so many script uh, rewrites uh, trying to fit ideas into, you know, who, who knows how many ideas were flying around from how many different people. And so it feels like this film, which the previous film had a budget of $80 million. This one got downgraded to $50 million. I feel like a lot of the things that we see is uh, is Fox kind of hitting the panic buttons, like, all right, we're going to greenlight this, but we want an alien movie. So really, like, all right, I'm, I'm going to try and, and mash the two things together, but it's oil and water. It's, it's, like, it's like you guys said, this should not have been the next step. And as my understanding is, the next step was supposed to be Paradise, which would have been them finding the engineer's world and exploring that. Now, as bad as this was, and I, when I say this, I'm talking about another film right now, as bad as the prequel to The Thing was, uh, because uh, Amalgamated Dynamics' beautiful work was completely cut out for like some really crappy CGI um, and some other decisions, uh, at least those filmmakers did try to honor the idea of The Thing. A little too much in my experience, uh, in my opinion, but at the same time, you watch the thing prequel and it is a thing prequel it explains what happens to the norwegian camp and leads directly into the classic movie that we all love this does not do this uh it doesn't even remotely do it and it's it's weird that scott i don't know how he's if he ever gets the chance to make the third film i don't know how he's going to get it there because he's He's wiped out the engineers. David leaves on a colony ship. Uh, where's the juggernaut that crashes on LV-426? Where's the where's the the pilot, the space jockey that the aliens going to erupt out of? Like, but you've you've killed them all. Like, I I don't know how you get there. It's like Nemesis says. Like, how do you get there? You've kind of broken your own chain of logic. And it's like I said, my the only things I really enjoy out of this film because of all the gross mistakes made, whether they're Scott's fault or the you know, uh, producer's fault, uh, the studio's fault, uh, it's just the character, just the character of David and Walter. And as Steve said, uh, the humans are worthless. I don't even remember the name of the characters. I just remember the actors. 
<laughs> oh, oh, like, oh, there's, 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 you know, there's a uh, Danny McBride and there's James Franco who we just throw him out of the film. Yeah, like, yeah, that's like, hey, hey, get down from there. Cat trouble. <laughs> Sorry, cats, people, cats. I was getting ready to but get yeah, out of my yeah, chair. <laughs> so, you know, uh, yeah, but it's like, it's just, uh, I can't defend this one. Because I, it's undefendable. Right. And, um, <clears throat> I didn't know there was a prequel to The Thing. What is that called? Because I need to see that the, immediately. The Thing? Uh, the prequel yeah. The prequel to The Thing is actually called The Thing. I don't know why they <laughs> called it The Thing, but... Oh, okay. Very imaginatively uh, titled. Right, right. <laughs> so, so, everything we've already said on top of this, but again, it... Um, and we alluded to it last time, which is why I want to follow up on it. Uh, the problem was two or three basic ideas forced mm -hmm. together in a film where they didn't fit. There's not any synergy between these ideas. So if you're going to create the engineers and you're going to create that world and that idea, that original premise isn't really, as Steve said, a part, it shouldn't be an alien movie. That's the movie you want to tell, and that's the story world you created. Then that should be a separate thing. If anything, the, the only thing I could stretch to make this work is if it maybe intersected with the aliens like Predator 2 when we see the hunting trophy room and we see the different species and a xenomorph ske uh, skeleton is there. We could buy that because of the premise of the Predators. But mm -hmm. this movie is trying to be a bunch of different things that don't fit. But that was true for Prometheus. It's it's exponentially true for Covenant. So we'll start, even though we have a little scene at the beginning with with uh, David and Will and all that. I, once again, I just I like Fastman and everything, but I cannot stand his character. So I, you can't sell me on him. But um, let's just start with the premise. I'm going to borrow Steve's catchphrase when we were doing Harley Quinn and Harley don't learn nothing. Let's examine what the movie is asking us to believe. The movie is asking us to believe that uh, a colony ship, a generational ship, a human transport ship doesn't function any better than, I don't know, the captain getting stuck in his pod and burning alive. There's that because maybe we couldn't have fire extinguishers or a halon system or maybe a little ice tray with some Pepsi coming down. I don't know. <laughs> Just nothing. And we have to stand there and watch you roast alive on an advanced ship that's taking the human species to another place to make sure we don't die out and you don't have that simple of a fail safe. So right away, I'm like, and, and y'all use James Franco for that? Why? Why? Because you realize when you use a famous face for such a role, you realize that we're realize, realizing that you're winking at the camera, that you're kind of mm -hmm. laughing inside the laugh. So it's not going to make us take the movie seriously. That's number one. I'm like, that was a ridiculous editorial decision because you can't do that. Same argument I made about using Evan Peters in WandaVision. They're like, they're not mixing the two universes. I said, yes, they are because they used him. People are going to put that together in their minds, even if that's not what you intended. So when you use an actor of Franco status for a little quick winky, I died stupidly, that's funny. That's not scary. One. Two, you want us to believe. We believed it when we saw the first alien, that mother woke them up, and we find out later that the company sent them 
to find that beacon, to find the creature. But here, their decisions like, you know, are we going to find an M-class planet just using Star Trek stuff? We're going to find an M-class planet. We're going to continue on our journey. We got all these people asleep back in the pods in the back part of the ship. What should we do? And not only was that stupid, <laughs> but also we get down on the planet's surface and nobody says, are we going to use some air filters? Are we going to use some helmets? Are we going to test the atmosphere? Are we going to have sense enough to know that maybe there are life forms and organism, organisms on levels that we can't detect. So maybe we shouldn't have our orifices available, nostril mm -hmm. cavities, your big old nasty mouth, your big old nasty ears, the pores of your skin. Maybe we should be hazmated, you know, and maybe until we find out what's going on, but no, we're not going to do that. And I keep saying to myself, y'all realize the human race is doomed if this is who y'all sending out of TV. <laughs> Not the best and brightest. <laughs> right, right, right. See, once again, once again, you can't, when, when you make, if you're going to set up a premise like that, don't make it be stupid protocol mistakes. Make it be an unexpected a malfunction. When we, when we start at the beginning of Star Trek VI, Praxis explodes because of overmining, which we can completely buy from the Klingons. They'd be so busy trying to keep up to support their war-based economy. They would push every resource that they had. We can buy that. It sets wow. them into a crisis. That's what kicks off the movie. That makes all the sense in the world. So if you're going to get these people on the planet, it needs to be something that would make a little bit more sense, given the technology and their mission. But you give us like this, this Keystone Cop stuff, like, I said, all y'all need to die. <laughs> I'm already rooting for the monsters. But <laughs> so I want you to tell me what you thought about the premise, you know, and go into as many levels of stupid as you need to. But I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, and one more thing I will say about Billy Crudup. If you notice, he always plays extreme characters, extremely powerful or extremely dumb or extremely simple or extreme. He's always like at the edge and I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, you can tell when you're looking at dudes with no confidence when they're sweating because they're thinking. Like I'm just sitting here and oh Lord, I gotta think. I'm nervous. What'd you think? You gotta ask everybody and you're just, oh, and you have all this angst. I'm like, dude, maybe you could make a decision. Why would you be the second in command? Why would you be in any type of command structure if you can't make a decision? Remember Commander Shelby? from best of both worlds, she was running over Riker. She's like, you in my way. Said, if you mm -hmm. can't make the big decision, get out the way for somebody who can't. That was her whole tagline. Commander Shepard was like, I got this. Mm -hmm. Riker had to snap her back. This dude is the anti-Shelby. He's like, I'm nervous about maybe two brain cells firing at the same time. And if I got to make a decision and oh my faith and oh the philosophical implications and what are we going to do? And he's sweating while he's thinking. I'm like, that's strike three. I'm out. I'm out. You're back. So let me hear your thoughts about the premise and, and what they're asking us to believe from the jump. Uh, Star with Bracey. Uh, I'm sorry. Like, did, did you pass it to me? Because it kind yep. of lagged. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm just going to come in on uh, Billy Crudup real quick. Uh, that kind of sounds like the very definition of a character actor to me is uh, going from one extreme to the other. Uh, mm -hmm. 
that being said, though, uh, <laughs> just on that character, I'm uh, jumping on the stupidity of the human characters to start with. I, I can only see that character being in that position through some sort of like political maneuvering or nepotism. Uh, and this is why if you've watched the extended materials, which you shouldn't have to, which makes for a much better film, uh, this guy constantly gets passed over by any member of the crew who has more than two brain cells firing over. Like, yeah, yeah, get out of the way. You're, you're here. You've got this position. This is great. Let the big boys go do the work. Or in the case of like the, the actual field commander's uh, wife, like she keeps stepping on his toes, which, uh, which bugs the crap out of him, obviously. Uh, and yeah, this, uh, this sort of thing just goes on and on with the film. The only, eh, I'm going to say this to start with, uh, to preface this, the, prologue material which you had to go online to see which is ridiculous uh, and again i think this is a, another lindelof abrams kind of inspired idea i don't know why ridley scott fell for it because it weakens his movies significantly if you're just going to the movies it actually shows a lot more interesting things in between the crew interesting things in between the uh diet ripley and Walter, interesting things. Uh, you know, James Franco actually had enough screen time in this prologue material to make you care about his character, to make you care about his wife's loss on this mission, where now she's the odd man out of this uh, colonial ship, and one is the loneliest number now. Uh, like, what, she's got to wait 20 years to be a cougar later on? Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, it's just terrible. It's a, it's it's so terrible. All this stuff that could have made us care about these characters even when they're being dumb is in extra material that most people won't see or you won't see until you buy the Blu-ray. Or, you know, if, if you didn't go online looking for this stuff, you just didn't see it before the film. So that's dumb. Now, as for the premise of the film, as you were talking, I realized I have already seen this movie and it was done far better, and the whole reason for them being on the planet, all of it worked. And that movie was Pitch Black by David Toy, the star-launching vehicle of Vin Diesel, where the ship gets hit with micrometeors, and they are forced to land on this planet with all these super-predatory uh, monsters living there. That's this movie. That's what this movie should have been if we're going to go back to horror, if we're going to go back to those roots. Because otherwise, this is just patentedly ridiculous everything that happens in it uh if you're flying long term across space uh, and it, it here's what pisses me off they expect us to be dumb they expect audiences to just be dumb oh you guys you know you you finance like you know, seven transformers movies so we're you're stupid <laughs> you're stupid we just count on you to be stupid but we're going to try and do this hard sci-fi and just expect you're still stupid no, if you're putting out hard sci-fi, or you're trying to, like what you did with Prometheus, don't expect us to be stupid. Uh, so, you know, if, we, if we're if we going to, like, if you know we're like, I, I know a lot of people didn't watch movies like Ex Machina and Moon, brilliant hard sci-fi, uh, but we are out there. And if you present it correctly, you can build a following. You can have a successful film. You know, 2001 is a legendary movie. It can be done. But you can't be stupid. An intergalactic spaceship, one that's going to colonize, will be hardened, hardened against neutrino bursts. It will be hardened against solar flares. It, the, uh, like just the basic thing, like you were saying, like the uh, 
the anti-fire, the fire suppressants for your life support tubes. You know, just, I, I understand a lot of people don't know that, but I think instinctually, even people who aren't well-versed in the sci-fi, I, I think there's something about it that just rings untrue. And that's why this movie failed uh, on top of a number of other reasons. Like it's completely worthless characters and things that like, it just doesn't work. And we've had time enough in our lifetimes and especially with how connected we are. And we're watching things like, you know, and I know this is later, but like the SpaceX launches and stuff like it, people are more informed than ever. And they have been for a while now. And so you have to treat your audience like they are smarter than what you think they are. If you put me in a hypersleep hyper space coffin, I would tape a bottle of water on one side and a bottle <laughs> of coffee on the other. <laughs> so I wouldn't have to worry. <laughs> but um, in Pitch Black, which I love that film, the captain's morals and her ethics is a part of her arc. Yeah. What she's willing to sacrifice or not to save the ship and her having to live with what she was willing to do and what ends up happening. And then that pays off with her final scene. And that, that whole movie, that ensemble cast are all far more interesting than anybody in this movie, except for the androids. But when we have someone stepping up into a position of leadership and then nothing they say makes any difference anyway. And everything they say and do is stupid. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Nemesis uh, thoughts on the original premise of the, the things that the movie's asking us to buy from the jump. Yeah, I, I got a couple points here. First of all, um, you guys' points about the ship being hardened and everything makes perfect sense. But part of that would be, okay, you're going to plan for the unexpected. Stuff is yeah. going to happen, okay? Why is there only one synthetic? Why do we have the rule of one? <laughs> you know, if you're going to be asleep all this time and you don't want to wake people up, why don't you have 10 synthetics? Why don't you have 20 synthetics? Why don't you have 100? They've already ironed out the problems with Walter. I mean, it's quite obvious that he's obedient. So why wouldn't they be the maintenance crew? For for that matter, why don't you just have robots, the automated, and then the synthetics could take care of that, you know? It's just a very basic question, but it breaks the whole movie right mm -hmm. there. Uh, second of all, um, as far as the captain, I, I really this guy really bugged the hell out of me. He is a beta. I'm sorry if that offends anyone, but he is a pure beta male. He couldn't lead Jack. Mm. <laughs> he just couldn't. And this is the kind of guy that would get fragged in wartime. I mean, somebody <laughs> would put a, a round in him and then just step over his corpse and keep going, you know, and, and, and he's ridiculous. And right away, honestly, I think there would have been a mutiny the first five minutes that in this, if this movie was like real, they would have looked at him. Was gonna happen. Yeah, Ugh. they, they would have looked at him agonizing over, you know, which brand of nail polish to put on, and <laughs> said, uh, "Yeah, you're you're out of here, pal. You could go lead, you know, Jack and and uh, you know, and you do your thing over there, and don't hurt yourself, you know." So that said. <clears throat> The real problem I have, and it hits on something that DT was talking about, is these morons diverting down to the planet and then sniffing the, the, the mushrooms and all this other crap. It's like, would we go to other places on Earth? 
one of the first things you learn as a child is you don't eat the pretty fruit. You don't poke the animals that you don't, you know, it's the Bill Burr thing again, where you're poking it, yeah. where you're sticking it, you know, it, especially if you don't know what it is, you don't mess with it. You leave it alone because if you don't know what it is, you go with the premise that it can kill you. And that's on this planet. Now you're going to a planet where you know nothing. You don't know anything about it. And that begs that question. You are entrusted with the lives of thousands of people and hundreds of millions of dollars of equipment and you're going to defer why because it's going to save you some years hell you've been asleep all these years anyway when you go to sleep again you're not going to feel the passage of time you're just going to go to sleep and then wake up yeah. again so why the hell do you care that you're still seven years away from this planet which then also begs the question is who the hell are these people going and colonizing this stuff when Colin, when when the, the settlers went across the Great Plains to settle the West, those people were rough and ready, die hard, you know, take what the situation is and make the best of it. And I'm going to survive survivalists. You would figure if you're going to another, I mean, if we were going to Mars, you'd figure those are the kind of people we're sending. And that's in our own mm -hmm. solar system. These people are going across, you know, so, you know, huge amounts of distance. And yet. Everybody in this movie, especially Tennessee's wife, is, uh, I mean, she couldn't survive in a 7-Eleven, let alone <laughs> on this planet. I mean, she's panicking. She's blowing shit. She blows the damn lander up. I mean, I'm like, look, lady, just put the round in your head and save everybody the trouble because you just screwed everything up. You know, and, and and then that's my last point is that I know this doesn't have to do with the premise, but the casting, you know, I, I made a mistake yesterday. I thought it was John C. Riley playing Tennessee, you know, because I get them confused all the time. It's Danny McBride, but yeah. it's the same point, man. It's like I'm looking at Danny McBride now, and instead of uh, me seeing Mike Honcho from, uh, you know, uh, Ricky Pineapple Bobby. Express or you know, no, now I'm seeing uh, Danny McBride's. Danny McBride from This Is the End. You know, he's sitting there oh. making stuff and then he's eating Tatum Channing and stuff. You know, it's like I can't take it seriously. I can't take him seriously in a serious role. I just, I just can't, you know. And uh, and the fact that James Franco was in it too just makes it that much worse. I'm I'm waiting for Seth Rogen to show up, you know. So it's just hmm. uh, see, see, see. I if I can add one thing real quick. Go ahead. Like I and I didn't think about that until Nemesis was saying is like it ties in with what you were saying, DT, is like, you know, going down to this alien planet. This wasn't even the planet they planned on going to, and they just treated right. it like it was okay. There's not yeah. going to be anything bad here. Yeah. Well, I got so much good material out of what Nemesis just, Nemesis just said. So, for mm -hmm. example, there was a, a old-school Hollywood phrase called the Brat Pack. Yeah. But, but Rogan and Franco and all them is the Beta Pack. So that's my new thing for them. Then Nemesis said, we could put you in a store full of ho-hos and you wouldn't make it. <laughs> and you can survive in the 7-Eleven with the Slurpees on the corner and the Aries on the <laughs> over here and the Razzles over there and you still going to die. See? <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time before I throw it to Steve. You can't give me a movie so I'm not rooting for anybody human. I have to have at yeah. least one human that I can root for. Ripley was the quintessential. We're rooting for you. I'm saving my stepchild. 
I'm getting my life back from these things that took my life from me. That you know that hasn't been topped, even equaled. But this is like not one character. When I'm already hoping you, but see, now I got the image of the Seven Eleven in my head. And I'm not <laughs> okay, go ahead, Steve. Thoughts on what they expected <laughs> us to buy in the original premise? Yeah, I think you guys covered it pretty well. I will just say, like all these characters are Darwin Award winners. They're just asking to be killed. They're that stupid. Um, and I will say uh, a couple of things that uh, were not kind of pointed out uh, was the fact that they had already mapped out and scanned and you know check pre-checked the planet that they were originally going to, which was Orgai mm -hmm. Six, I believe. They had already checked. They had all this stuff out, so they they knew what they were dealing with once they got there. They had nothing, bupkis, zero information on this, you know, planet that suddenly appeared out of nowhere. How the, how you miss a planet like that, uh, especially a planet that is supposedly viable, I have no idea, but somehow they missed it. And the only reason they know this is because they got this weird uh, signal, which it turns out was from Shaw, uh, you know, singing, country road shall take me home. <laughs> Why she would have picked this song, I have no idea. And what makes it unintentionally funny to me is that Country Roads was the song that was used for the game Fallout 76, which was likewise a complete disaster, just like this movie. So the, the, the fact that these that this song came up now, watching it again, just made me laugh and laugh and laugh. So I'm already not taking this movie at all seriously. Um, the characters are all stupid. And, and, and actually, to be fair, the characters get dumber once they land on the planet. This is part is actually where the characters are relatively less stupid. <laughs> so, so yeah, they're already going, you know, t diverting off of there. And it's because this captain is absolutely weak. Uh, nobody respects him. And, and here he is, you know, caterwauling about, oh, it's because I'm religious. Nobody will trust me because I believe in God. I'm like, no, because uh, they take, they, as we turned out, they, there's a deleted scene where Rosenthal, the woman that gets killed, one of the women that gets killed on the on the planet, was actually singing a prayer right before she was mauled by a neomorph. So yeah. clearly that that was not an issue with these people. They don't respect you, Captain, because you are not acting like a leader. You are not inspiring confidence. You don't even seem to have any confidence in yourself and your ability to make decisions. Which I mean, it's like if you draw your strength from your faith, why don't you have any self belief whatsoever like this? Why are you getting rolled over left and right? And and Daniel clearly has more intelligence and, and more charisma than this guy. This guy has the charisma of a block of wood. Why would you follow this guy? Why would there not have been a mutiny from the beginning? So clearly, you know, he's just going along with what people want because he doesn't have, you know, the strength and fortitude as a leader or the vision or anything resembling common freaking sense. You know, to make a, a firm decision, an intelligent, comb uh, you know, tactical decision, and then go with it. There is none of that. Th and, and this is like, this is, again, before things get really stupid. Uh, uh, down on the <laughs> so, so the fact that we're, we're dealing with all of this dumb now, uh, before we even get there, is, is horrible. And I will also say, what was the point of the solar sails? Um, you, know, you know, we have never seen any of these other ships that required any of these sails. So, okay, here you are going out there, you know, fixing a thing which should not even have necessarily been necessary because we've seen that they have the technology to keep going through and gather energy without needing to have these solar sails that are easily ripped. Do they look cool? Yes. Do they serve any purpose that couldn't be served 
you know, in, in a better design? No, no, not, not at all. And, and I will also add, uh, in addition to the stuff that you've already talked about with respect to the science, why is there not a second lander? Uh, you think yeah. that there would be redundancies for that uh, in case, you know, one of them, oh, I don't know, blows up in a fire? <laughs> you know, you would think that there would be a backup, you know, in case you need to go down to the planet to get them out. Did, did nobody think of this? Apparently not. Nothing, nothing about this movie or its premise makes any amount of sense. Everything is just ridiculous. There is no reason they should be going to this planet. There should be no reason that they that they should know about that this planet exists. Uh, and there should be no reason why they should be diverting and risking two thousand colonists to you know to to go to this thing that's not even reliable when you have a perfectly mapped and and perfectly known quantity that you are going to. Absolutely stupid from the jump. Okay. I, I, I will add this real quick. Uh, Steve and I were talking about this before. We, we did a review for Army of the Dead for Cinema Crusaders earlier. Mm -hmm. This movie is a Zack Snyder film without Zack Snyder being involved in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's visually beautiful. It's got some uh, cool action sequences in it. Yep. But the story makes absolutely no sense. All this was missing was a horrible music video, and it would have been you know, Zack Snyder movie. You know, so. Army of the Dead is better than this movie. I will say it is. Too. It is. It actually is. Well, if you're talking about, I haven't seen Army of the Dead, by the way, but if you're talking about the science that it would take, because again, uh, even me not being a scientist, if you're talking about keeping people in suspended animation for that long, the kind of fail safes you would have to have on their medical monitors alone, just to be sure they don't slip in a cardiac or if any little thing goes wrong, you'd have to monitor every vital in the system. Then you would have to have some type of food stores, even if you just have like liquid protein, like in Robocop, you'd have to have enough for 2000 people to make it until they could do something better. And then the size and the width and the weight of that kind of ship, if you have light speed capability, if you have technology to have all that and you can move at light speed, you cannot possibly be stupid enough not to have a fire extinguisher. I'm just saying. And so, so all that, but, but so that's a good transition for, and I do want to say this about the really Scott thing, because I read some reviews and I thought about it some more and I listened to you guys. And, and I think it's what Nemesis said last time. That's most accurate. And that is that there's, there's a film he wanted to make and a place he wanted to go because of a certain level of a faith crisis or, or an existential crisis or a desire to explore those themes, which does not work with the backdrop of an alien. The alien part is shoehorned in to say it's an alien film. If you take the aliens out, which is really funny, if you take the aliens out of an alien film, then all of a sudden this film could just been like lost in space too, because it's about on that level. Because that's really about what it is, lost in space too with aliens which leads me to the aliens themselves. And I've already said, I completely reject the notion on every level I know how to reject something, that those creatures come from goo, <clears throat> goo, microscopic goo that can infiltrate any orifice that you have and then develop into whatever it is that busts out of you. Because that would make face huggers redundant and unnecessary. Why, if you already have a system that can invade your pores, anything that can be airborne and get that same result, why would you add a step 
see in, in terms of an evolutionary sense or basic biology or anybody trying to create anything, if the goo can already do that, there's no need for queens. There's no need for eggs. There's no need for face huggers. Just get you some goo from the planet because you've been down there for 10 years. This is that 10 years after Prometheus. So get you some goo and make sure when people come on the planet, you just throw the goo in their face and you put the goo in their drinks and here's some Pepsi with your little goo. And just a few, <laughs> few hours later, you'll have a planet full of aliens. So then what is the point then of a queen or an ovipositor or eggs or face huggers or gestation when they can already do that? Yeah, oh, see, see, mm -mm. there's that. And then the next part in talking about the aliens was I kind of wanted to see something new. Cameron had the right idea to give us the queen because it's something we hadn't seen from the first one. So we've talked about the different options, and there are, I'm sure, an infinite number of options, but an alien king would have been nice, uh, uh, aliens that could do different kinds of things or that's why we want to go to their original, original home planet so we can see what kind of environment breeds such nightmare creatures, just something. But this was, uh, like Steve was talking about the Neomorphs, this was kind of a retread of a retread. I was like, you know, I guess it's gore, I guess it's bloody, I guess it's ugly, but y'all really deserved it, so I don't care. I, you know, I don't care when you die. I'm like, y'all deserve to die. Everything you did up to this point bought you that stupid death. That's what you get. But I mean, we didn't learn anything new about them in that sense until we get to the David stuff and we get there in a minute. But I mean, just up to the David stuff, as I'm examining, again, what the movie is asking us to believe that that all this was all in place. I, again, again, all the stuff that that follows it then makes all of that redundant. And I didn't really learn anything new. And I don't know how to say this. Um, the the very first time you see a chest burster sequence and the little larva alien stage that comes out, that's horrific. That's that's just uh, one of the most intense images you've ever seen in your life. Here, I felt like it was that annoying pit bull that lives across the street at my neighbor's house. Like, would somebody just shoot the thing and be done with it? It didn't feel like, do you understand what I'm trying to say? It didn't feel like an alien moment. It didn't feel like, here's this nightmare creature. It felt like, I don't know, somebody's Gordon Shepherd got out and they, they, they chewed the head off, whatever. Can somebody just, you know, call pet services and just, and that's what I mean when I say it was small. That's not how the first two films made us feel. But this one made us feel like, 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 you know, you need to call Wanda Maximoff shoe handling. But anyway, so, so before we get specifically to the David stuff, I want to hear your thoughts about the creatures from the goo to seeing them scramble around to whatever kind of backburster, you know, shower scene, whatever. How did how did this representation of the xenomorphs in neomorph form or whatever make you feel? At this time, we'll start with Steve. It, I felt nothing. <laughs> I really didn't care. Um, I will. The only thing I will say is there was there was something that was added uh, in one of the uh, I don't know if it was a deleted scene or you know some of the extra material where they they finally explained to a certain extent at least a little bit what the goo was and what this stuff is. Um, it is an a nanotech um, sort of thing where it breaks down um, DNA and rewrites it and and all of this. And this is what the engineers were using. But the thing is, it still is 
the same problem we had with the goo before, which is that it does whatever the story wants us to do. There are no defined rules behind how it works and why it works and why it works the way it does. Um, it's just, it creates the monsters because it does. And, and the thing is, I don't even see why it's necessary to have the magic mushroom. Why do they form in the form of magic mushrooms? You know, why, why does it uh, develop where it does? How does it develop how it does? How do these things have survived as long as they have without human hosts coming along and, 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 and hitting the thing? And especially what even makes it dumber is that we know that there are alien eggs <laughs> that we find in, in David's complex. And so it's like, why wouldn't they, if there are alien eggs, you know, and you want the thing and you want the, some chestbursters to start, you know, all the murdering of these stupid colonists, you know, why don't we just have somebody run across an alien egg for the first time, you know, and, and, and have them get chestbursted. I mean, there's, there's any number of ways that you could have done it without resorting to the magic goo um, that, that makes no sense. And, 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 and on top of that, I am going to, to go into one of the stupidest things they, they managed to make the, the scientists from Prometheus look smart. They managed to make Fifield and Milburn look like geniuses. And would you like to know how they did that? Because these people, on, on these colonists on the Covenant, didn't even put on a spacesuit. Not one. <laughs> they just It's just, okay, uh, the, 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 the scanners say that it's fine. Why don't you go down there and put your face in front of a magic mushroom? No. No. No one is this stupid. They would be wearing spacesuits. They should be wearing spacesuits. Even on the Prometheus, they were wearing spacesuits. Why are you doing this? So, yeah, everything that they're doing uh, with respect to the alien and the way that the colonists react to it at first and, and the beginning of the outbreak, it, it just makes absolutely no sense. Uh, in addition, that there's no uh, quarantine protocols that make any sense. I mean, even, even the uh, Nostromo had better uh, quarantine protocols than what we see here. It's just everything is just nonsensical. Everything about the way that the aliens break out is completely ridiculous. Nobody's making any smart decisions. And on top of that, you have the captain being stupid again by letting these guys go off on their own and mess with whatever. They poke every little darn thing, you know, that they know nothing about. And then they, you know, and then everybody's shocked when they find out the two guys end up sick. <laughs> Gee, I, I'm, your, I'm, I'm amazed it wasn't the entire group. Because everybody's doing such stupid things, and there's and and again, nothing makes sense with the lore that we've seen before. Nothing adds to it. I mean, you know, the the designs of the little xenomorph, the neomorphs. Um, it's okay, I guess. It, I, it's just I don't even care at this point because they've already done so much stupid that it takes me out of the movie, and I'm not invested. Right, and you don't you don't get that sense of of utter shock or whatever, even in Alien Three. Yeah. Got a better I, add, yeah, I want to add one thing, and I almost, because that I forgot to set, mention it before. Um, you know, they seem to be following the format um, of Alien 1 in the sense that, you know, some of the things that they do are kind of like designed in the same way, you know, to cause uh, the aliens to propagate the way that they did in the first movie. But the thing is, is that even those characters in the first Alien are smarter than the ones on the Covenant. I mean, they're not suicidally stupid. They had protocols. It's just that they didn't listen to them. And you also had Ash you know, who was uh, cooperating with Waylon Utani and sabotaging things. None of that applies in this movie. So when the, the, the members of the Covenant, you know, do these stupid things, it's because they're morons. It's not because of outside circumstances <laughs> or anything else. And also, I want to throw in, I'm going to throw it to Nemesis next, because I want you to re-raise your question about the origin of those eggs, Nemesis. But uh, uh, <clears throat> if we're to understand 
that everything on the ship is recorded and sent back through the mainframe, then going all the way back to Prometheus, then did we learn anything from the telemetry? Did we get any type of information? We keep sending people out there on missions and nobody comes back. What happened? Uh, what about when Shaw is, is you know, uh, doing her own abortion on little baby Shuma and she pulls out, you know, little <coughs> octopus baby and did that information go back? Uh, just that whole thing, because if this is 10 years after that, and Shaw never made it back, and we didn't hear from her anymore. And Do nobody learns anything on top of that. Right, right. Nobody learns nothing. So I'm like, you know, are we learning from this? That You know, that kind of thing. That's another thing that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, go ahead, Nemesis. Talk about what you talked about, about <laughs> the eggs and all that. But just the creatures from the goo till we get to the David stuff. Because we're going to have to re reserve a whole section for, yeah. for David and Walter and Mr. Mirror Flute. Go ahead. Outside of the, the morons you couldn't survive the convenience store, this is my biggest problem with this movie, which is the whole alien thing. None of it makes any damn sense. First of all, we've got these mushrooms. All right. If you were on this planet and some you were with your boy, you know, and they went up to, to sniff a mushroom, you'd slap them upside the head and be like, go sit in the corner before you hurt yourself, you know, because nobody is sniffing strange fungus. You don't want, I mean, that is like a basic rule of life. You're like, spores are not a good thing ever. You don't want them in you, you know? And so these morons are going around sniffing the black fungus. Then the fungus is, evidently it's intelligent. I've been told that there's nanobots, you know, which raises a whole other host of questions. You know, I'm now doing the work for the movie, but let's go with that. How are the nanobots and in, in, in the mushrooms? And then they're seeking out, you know, different areas. And it's never the same area. So it's smart enough to go, oh, here, I'm going to go in the mouth here. I'm going to go in the nose there. I'm going to go in the ear here. And why the ear? You know, it's like if you're, you're trying to get in the respiratory system. I don't understand how that's incubating any, you know, impregnating anybody. But okay, let's, let's go with that. So now let's fast forward. People are sick. We get the guy on the ship. All right. In this case... He's got spikes come out of his back. I don't know what the hell that's about. You know, spikes come out of his back, and then it rips through his back and comes out. It was a gory visual. I'll give you that. But the thing that comes out is like, I don't know, maybe a foot and a half tall with a long tail. And this woman treats it like it's a full-blown xenomorph. She's freaking out. It's like, ah, the thing's on top of her. I'm like, any sane person grabs that thing and drop kicks it for three points. Yeah. You know, or you grab it by the tail and you start doing Devo's whip it against the wall. <laughs> you know, you're smacking that thing. And she's you supposed were... to be characterized as this cool pilot, you know, who's on top of the situation. And yeah. then suddenly she's just completely panicking like a complete idiot doing stupid things. Yeah. This was one of my least favorite characters in the whole movie because of how stupid that yeah. whole scene was. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ferris is out there getting ready to blow up the damn lander. I'm like, this is why I'm saying all of you are just morons. You know, but this thing at this point is three feet tall. It's stuck in there. I mean, at least in the Alien, the first movie, they were shocked. And then that thing bounced. It got out. Right. And they didn't kill it. You know, when they had the chance. She had a knife in her hand. She had guns. She could have grabbed the thing. That thing should have been dead. One of them down. You know, we only have one more to deal with. And instead, she's freaking out. The thing's on top of her. I mean, if that thing got on top of me, 
you know, it's basically the size of a house cat. You are grabbing it and you destroy it, you know, in fight or flight. Then the second guy. So that's the first one. And that was stupid. And I don't understand. The second one is even dumber because this time the guy throws it up. You know, I'm like, what in the hell? It comes out of his mouth. The CGI is horrible. It looks absolutely fake. It looks like a Photoshop. And I was expecting that later on in the movie, someone was going to crap one out. It was going to come out the other <laughs> way. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, if you're going to do that, then it's got to come out the other end too. You know, it's like you Stephen can't give King me the one. That. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't give me one and not give me the other one. You know, so that was just absolutely ridiculous, which then begs the question and what, what DTT was talking about. We get to the eggs. Okay. David, you know, we're going to get all the stuff with David too, but David's doing genetic experiments and everything, but eggs have to be laid by something. In this universe, the eggs are laid by a queen. We haven't even gotten involved aliens yet. We haven't even thought about queens yet. So who laid the eggs? Did David lay the eggs? Did he pop them out of his of himself? Because that is a hell of a visual. You know, it's like of all the things you didn't show us, you didn't show me David laying the eggs and sitting on the eggs and 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 bringing them to term. You know, because if you showed me that, I would have been disgusted. I wouldn't have liked the movie any better. But at least I, I would have seen what the hell was going on. Because how in the hell did those eggs get there? Someone explain that. In the comments down below, after you like and subscribe this video, explain <laughs> to me how the eggs got there. If you can give me a real explanation, I will email you and send you something from Comic Crusaders because I don't think it's possible. I don't think you can explain to me what the hell laid those eggs because all the animals are dead. David said it. When he released the black goo, every single form of animal life was killed on that planet. So we have either the magic mushrooms spawn the eggs or David has one of the nastiest things I've ever thought of, which he has a hidden over-receptor that comes out of some orifice and he's laying three and a half foot tall eggs, which God bless, you know, bless your heart if you want to go there. <laughs> so win, it's win like, no prize today, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, agree with all that. And like Steve said, it destroys two mythologies, not just one, but two, because nothing in Prometheus now makes any sense given all this foolishness. And before I throw it to Bracing, on top of all that, the other thing is, <clears throat> and you just hit on it, and that is that one of the most interesting things about this creature in its lore was its life cycle. So when we see the first movie, we see the chest burster, and the baby larva, and then we see the full-blown alien as it's shedding its skin and you know going to be eight, nine feet tall or whatever. In the second movie, we get the queen and the ovipositor and where we get the eggs from. And just with the visual, like James Cameron said, you don't have to explain what that is. You know what that is, because you understand biologically what that has to be. But here, uh, we got we got the, the shoulder blade burster. We got the vomit burster. We got the dream catcher out your behind burster. We got, <laughs> just what? 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 And, then, and then it doesn't have it doesn't have a little you know junior cheeseburger stage. It goes straight to the you know dog alien stage. And I'm why? Why? Just just oh, see, and it's like. <clears throat> when you don't take the time to research the mythology, I just did a rant on this about Superman 
It's not as man of steel. When you don't take the time to understand the mythology of the world that you're working in, mm-hmm. then you cannot expect your audience to become invested on any level because your lack of preparation will push them out of it. Even if it's not conscious, even if they don't articulate it, when you see something that your mind would say, you know, that don't make no sense, right? You know, given what we know about the aliens, all of that is ridiculous. Go ahead, Bracey. Thoughts on from goo to shoulder buster to vomit buster and ghost busters. <laughs> I do have lots of thoughts on this because one of the things that keeps me coming back to the franchise, no matter how good or bad each individual movie is, is the fact that I am utterly fascinated with the alien as a creature. Uh, going from the obvious uh, parasitic wasp uh, sort of lifestyle that was introduced uh, and to finding out we have an ant-like hive structure. And uh, it's like you said, DT, they're there are ways you can do and, uh, and give us new things. Uh, uh, a much lower key example, I think, is the Tremor series, which first we start with the giant graboid worms, and then in the second film, uh, we find out that they have uh, the shriekers that burst out later, and then we find out that uh, later on they develop into things called ass blasters, which, ridiculous name, but it allows for the distribution of the species across areas that the adult forms normally couldn't travel over. That's all very logical and pretty well thought out. And that's what's lacking here. Uh, one of the other things I'm very geeky about is I'm very geeky about uh, animals and animal biology, which is one of the reasons these things are so interesting to me. Uh, the goo destroys all of that. Now, I, I find the adult neomorph uh, fascinating in its own way. Uh, one of the things I did notice about it in the uh, sequence where it attacks uh, the woman who's saying a prayer while she's washing up, is you hear it clicking. Click, 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 kind of going back to pitch black. Uh, this thing is using echolocation because it's got no eyes and apparently no ears that or you know, maybe it's, maybe the entire head is a sensory organ picking up vibration. Um, and we still don't know how the aliens themselves uh, track their prey without eyes. But I thought that was kind of a neat evolution there. And originally, when I saw the trailers for this, I thought the Neomorphs were going to have been bursters from the from the engineers because they had the pale skin and they had, like, the large, bulbous head. I was like, okay, you know, this is kind of a neat idea. But, like, then I actually see the movie, and what I see is propagating these things is the, the fungus goo, which doesn't work if this is if you watch the like you know and i know it's briefly stated here but also in the supplemental material you know it's stated like it's this uh this nanomolecular uh breakdown machine that kind of plays back into the first movie a little bit like you drink the black goo it breaks down the dna recombines does something new with it so why are we constantly seeing the same neomorph if because we see them before they, they infect the humans get on there. You know, they, they get attacked by a swarm of these things, too. And they all look the same. The ones that look from the come from the humans look the same as the ones that were already indigenous on the planet after the release of the plague. But we know from alien mythology that hasn't happened. We have seen, uh, we've seen chestbursters out of humans. We've seen chestbursters out of dogs. They create two different creatures. We've seen the alien queen has a completely different morphology. If we're going to take the AVP series into canon, we've seen the Predalien has a completely different biology. You know, it's still alien-related, but it, it extracts from the DNA of the creature that it comes from. So even taking 
David's research into account will not explain this. And uh, there's no proper biological sim uh, system for the reproduction here. If you have a, a fungal, uh, even a, an endofungal implement that uh, infects a host, okay. <laughs> uh, so how do we get a, a neck burster, a, a back burster? How do we get a throat burster? It, that doesn't make sense. You know, biology has functions. They have rules that they apply to, even with creatures that we don't understand or we've just experienced. You know, you can look at, like, uh, examples of, like, weird things on our planet where you have deep-sea creatures, like, uh, I believe, for instance, a hatchet fish. The, the male hatchet fish is, like, infinitesimal compared to the female, and he attaches to the female parasitically, and that's his life cycle. So we've got weird places we could go. But at least with, like, the alien, you've got the, the ovipositor out of the facehugger, which implants an embryo, which pops out of your chest because your stomach is actually kind of high up in your in your body cavity anyway. So it makes sense that it's grabbing all these nutrients from there and it bursts out of your chest as opposed to what we normally think is our stomach, which is where our guts are. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, this stuff developing an embryo that bursts out of your neck or bursts out of your throat, no, no, it, it should go to a place that makes sense biologically. And it just doesn't do that. Uh, somebody decided this would look cool and Ridley was fine with it. Like, oh, we'll show you something new. Neck burster, uh, you know, throat burster. Like, no, 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 no. That doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. It has no frame in even the weirdest biology that we're aware of. If you're going to create something fantastical, you still have to have rules. And I'm going to point back to James Cameron's avatar because he did a brilliant job of creating a functional biosphere a functional environment and the the way these creatures all lived and they bioluminesced and they could connect via these nerve endings uh, all these creatures all had these tentacle tendrils with the nerve endings so they could create uh, connect and have this because the whole ecosystem there is based off of like a symbiosis with the iwa so brilliant job on that no matter what you think about the rest of the movie just brilliant world building there but that's not here and it's terribly disappointing because I did want to see the evolution. If we're going to take the premise that David uh, refines the alien into what it is from the Deacon species, I want to see that. I want to see the evolution of it. And we're denied that because already this doesn't make sense. The neomorphs don't make sense. And the, the information about how he took Shaw's reproductive organs when he, when he mixed the goo with her and he found out like, oh, this really responds to the to the human genome and the ova and the ovaries and all this stuff would have been really nice to actually have that in the film. Cause that's what I think. And again, I'm having to do things for the film. I'm having to research outside of the film. I think that the egg is actually a womb and that's how you get the egg before the creature in this case. But the movie doesn't do that. So how can you, not forgive people for not understanding. You know, we shouldn't have to do homework to watch a movie. And What's the uh, release yeah, the bracy cut. Release yeah, the bracy cut. <laughs> I, I dig deep when it when it comes into like uh, creatures making sense and things. And uh, and, and we, when we finally get to his proto alien, because it's not a hundred percent like the uh, the big chap xenomorph from the first movie. Uh, when we get to his proto-alien, you know, and he's 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 got his eggs and things, even then, 
by this time, even trying to make this movie uh, more horror based as opposed to sci-fi, I'm I'm not intimidated by this creature. And if that's the point, if this is the horror element, I'm not intimidated because I can't buy what's already come before in the film. Uh, this uh, this thing, and I understand using CGI, but you know, even though I, I've discussed, I didn't like uh, later iterations by ADI, despite my being a big fan of their work. I didn't like the uh, the more organic approach away from the biomechanical. Uh, this thing running around the CGI monster, it just does not feel like an alien to me. Uh, it, it, you know, they're trying to do the CGI to make it like fast and all this stuff, but there's, there's even scenes with the, the neomorphs in here that feel like a guy in a suit, even if it's all CGI, it's hard to tell in some scenes. Uh, but it, it has that man in a suit feel and that works. It feels real in the world. When I look at this CGI uh, xenomorph, it does not feel real in the world, and it's it's acting like nothing else was seen. And I, I get what he's trying to do, like oh, you know, this is a prototype. I'm working towards my thing and everything, but it it doesn't work on any real level. It um, even even the dog alien was like uh, kind of aggressive for a reason, uh, it, and this thing is just like batshit crazy you know <laughs> running around all over the place like you know, my whole purpose is to kill all life you know I, I don't think this thing would ever start egg morphing people into anything it it's a it's it's if david's the evolutionary force this is an evolutionary dead end and it proved it by the end of the film because uh we just got to rehash alien for some reason in the worst possible way in terms of this film so, yeah, it's incredibly disappointing for somebody who's a huge fan of this particular movie monster. I, I just like to add, you know, to bring it to writer's code for a second. I think the real problem with this movie, with a lot of movies, what we're talking about is I read a Gret book by Orson Scott Card, and it was on writing fantasy, but it applies here, where he's mm -hmm. talking about magic systems. He's like, magic yeah. systems, it can be anything you want. You can do whatever the hell you want. But he's mm -hmm. like, but you've got to create rules. And once you yeah. create those rules for your magic-based system, you have to follow them all the time. You can never yeah. break them. Yeah, and, I would and, look into Sanderson's but, rules as well because he's very, very good at kind of building on Orson Scott Card. Um, you know, if you're going to do things and you're going to be ill-defined on them, you can do it. But you, there's a certain way that you have to do it um, in order to make everything consistent in addition you know, to doing right. it the other way, which is the way that you describe it. But they didn't and, do either in this movie. And, and, no, so and that's what we see like in the in the Star Wars sequels, for instance, to jump on that real quick. When we've seen all this other material, like the, the Force had a magic system, a very uh, magic system we understood, and it got expanded over time, whether it's the books or the Clone Wars movies. But by the time they get to the sequels, they just start throwing everything against the wall. We're going to do space Skype and all this stuff. And, and people rejected that because you it sure. didn't work. You went too far outside of the rules. Yeah. And so, I mean, to a certain extent, even so hard science fiction, when you're yeah. coming up with science, you know, you you come up with the rules and you cannot break the rules. And this movie is one of the most egregious examples of breaking the rules all over the place. And so that is why even with all the other stuff that's wrong with this movie, you just can't take this movie seriously because every single rule that we know about from aliens from the books, 
from the comic books, from the other movies, is broken here. It's broke and it's broken badly. It's broken laughably. So and on top of all that, I will repeat what I said earlier, especially after hearing what Bracey had to say, and that is that it's in an evolutionary sense, but in a practical sense, it's a step backward to add a step or two to the cycle uh, when you already have a substance in place that can do all that if that's what you're trying to do. But it goes back to what we said before. And I heard you guys point before about how David is evil because he's programmed to be that way and all the different kind of stuff. But he's evil and small and inefficient and petty and self-obsessed. And he's more human than some humans that we know. So all that is a step backward from his premise. But he doesn't have enough self-awareness and objectivity. One of the things that happens if you put a narcissist or a tyrant or a totalitarian, totalitarian uh, totalitarian <laughs> under enough pressure is they'll begin to melt down when they begin to face the reality of what they've done or what they've created because those things are always a social dead end if if for example you're going to have a system that says you have to eliminate anybody with a certain ethnicity or skin tone if you agree with that after you do that what's going to happen is you're going to eliminate what you call sympathizers people that used to hang around with those kind of people. And then after you do that, you have to eliminate people who have the same eye color as they did. So if you don't like brown people and you get rid of brown people, then you get rid of people that hung around with brown people. Then you get rid of people with brown eyes because that's too much. <laughs> right? and before you're done, everybody's going to be dead for one reason or the other. It's a dead end. You can't start down that path because that's the only place to get in. And so just to give you an example of how Eventually, you're going to be forced to see that what you're doing is not viable. And I'm saying that to say that even though it takes much pain for us to see that as humans, a so-called advanced intelligence that decided it was smarter than everybody and everything and that we didn't deserve to live, should have been able to see that. Should have been able to see how this is going to play out. And instead, he does something that's almost horrific for the sake of being horrific. And it's not efficient. And it's not, it's not any of the things you said it was, which tells me that you're a delusional android. Just wrap your brain around that. That you're supposed to have this advanced intelligence, but you're so full of yourself until you're fooling yourself. I see all those concepts. That's why I told you I hate this character. I know y'all like him. I know you're fascinated with him. Fastman is great, but I hate him. I hate him from the core of what he's trying to say until whatever. And so then he meets Walter and blah, blah, blah. And then so let's get into that because at some point it becomes the Fastbender show. So mm -hmm. whether you agree with that choice or not, that's what happened. And so you've got the, you know, there are a lot of things that actors like that fans don't like. Actors like to be able to stretch their chops and do what they can do and show how many things they can. But the whole movie for me just slowed down to a crawl. As soon as we have the Android brothers doing whatever it was that they were doing, whatever you want to call that, I can't wait to hear what Nemesis calls that because I'm sure I'll get some more material. So, but the whole movie just screeches down to a crawl and it once again screams very loudly because Bishop never did this. It screams very loudly that this is not a movie about the aliens. And, and Bishop never did that. Bishop was a part of the tapestry 
But I've always maintained that every good villain has a presence that you can feel when they're not on the screen. Darth Vader, the Borg, the Terminators. You can feel them when they're not on screen. That's what the aliens were in the first three movies. But here I'm like, as soon as David and Walter get together, as soon as we have whatever they were doing, it just the whole movie went to this whole crawl. And I'm like, y'all realize this ain't about the aliens, right? And y'all realize that if we cut this whole thing out, this is not any additional information that we as the audience needed to further the mythos of the creatures. And then what Steve said in the opening, uh, which we'll revisit here about killing a character off screen in a very gruesome way, the character that survived the last movie, but now they're dead because they got done in in this kind of way. And what Jeff just said, when you combine all that together about how maybe that's how the goo adapt, adapted to the system and maybe created queens or created eggs or whatever. But again, 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 it doesn't make any sense. It's a step backwards. It's adding an extra step that's unnecessary. And then on top of all that, um, this might be a, an answer to your question, Nemesis, but I just want to throw it out. What happened to those little oval things we saw in Prometheus in the first ship that were carrying the goo? What happened to those? He's still got a collection of them in, in his little oh, yeah. workshop there. So is the movie trying to say that that's what turned into the eggs or they're separate things? They're separate things because he's got some, he's got what left of them. He, he tells Walter that. Okay. Okay. So, so he's got them up on a shelf in his wall. So they're not even refrigerated or anything or whatever they were. So it's like, why aren't they leaking? You know? <laughs> now, well, now, can you see what I'm saying about how there is not a logical through line for David's behavior? Mm -hmm. We cannot, we cannot, even with the extra material, we cannot create a logical through line for what you're doing and why you're doing it. See what I mean? So let me hear your thoughts about once it becomes a Fassbender show and all the, the innuendo you make with the Android. That's another thing. Now, I have to say this. That's what put me off about the Borg queen. I didn't want to accept that the Borg would have a central figure that looked like that because my imagination said it would be something much more like Brainiac. Mm. But we meet her, and she's like this oversex cyborg that wanted a boyfriend. Really? That's the origin of the mighty boar. You're getting horny and you're lonely, so you got to salute John Luke. And then when he spurns you, they're like, well, I guess I'll take Data then. I'll date your friend. How about that, little cute? Is real? Oh, that's what I keep <laughs> That's what I keep telling you about, about what I mean when oh. you pick these great villains and you make them small. You make now them I, small. I need a meme of the Borg Queen with, I'll date your friend. <laughs> right, right. I'm going to date your friend and he'll make a regular <laughs> girl. As you can see, I've already found an equal. Like, Are we in high school? We must be around the face high school. Because Locutus broke up with it and now you're mad. So I'm going to take half of Data's face and make it human because he wants the human skin and la la, I'm going to be dead name how yeah, you like that. <laughs> so that's what this was to me, except worse, because it was a mirror image Android thing. And I'm like, we didn't need to know none of that. And you're talking about it, the innuendo is at all. If I met an Android copy of myself, I would there wouldn't be in your window at all. 
at all. Okay. So anyway, so let me hear your thoughts about the fast bender show. Uh, Bracey, you start. Yeah, um, man, once again, this is, I did like the Fassbender show because it was more interesting than anything else that was going on in this movie. Um, I will say this, uh, one positive for Ridley Scott, um, as opposed to just the beautiful visuals is the guy is mostly really dedicated to practical effects. And there's a, a shocking amount of the stuff that in this film that's practical, including the end scene with the drop ship. Uh, that was like a, a big thing on a gimbal. So, I just wanted to give him that because, like, since we're banging on everything else so hard. <laughs> um, yeah, the um, I liked I liked David. I liked Walter a lot. I like the fact that Michael Fassbender convinced me that he was two different people who looked alike. So hats off to him. He's absolutely brilliant. Uh, the the mannerisms, the inflection in the voice. The different style of talking, it's perfect. Really, really great. It, that's a hard thing to pull off. Now, um, so even having seen the theatrical release uh, and, and enjoying the performance as was, once again, there are so many things that didn't make it into the film that I wish had made it into the film. And I, I just feel like it was worth the additional running time. Uh, when we initially see David in the extra material, uh, one of the things I kind of liked is he's he's wearing a hoodie, and he's he's got the hoodie up, and he's attending to the hydroponic garden, and he's whistling. He's whistling to the plants, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star, and Mother starts talking to him, uh, telling him, he's like, oh, you know, that's a fallacy. Plants don't really need music to grow better. But I, I like the fact that David, I'm uh, no, sorry, not David, Walter is fully aware that he's synthetic, and he is 100% okay with it. You know, he is the complete opposite of, uh, of, of David. He's, he's Bishop in a lot of ways. He is a machine who does have the ability to act human. And you have to wonder as the course of this goes on, especially with the extra material, the extra scenes in between uh, him and the captain's wife, you know, because I forget her name because she's not really important. And just like every other human character. Um then he he keeps talking about everything being his programming, but it, it almost feels like he has a bit of an evolution of his own going on, but he's still well within. He's always, always referring to the fact that, like, I serve, I serve, I serve. He knows this place. This is his purpose. This is what he is made for, and he accepts that, and I think he enjoys it, and I don't know if that's built into him or not, but that's the feeling I get. So he is the antithesis of David in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, uh, so, like I said, I wish those moments had been in there because they add so much more to the character who's already interesting. Now, seeing him and David interact, uh, David's had 10 years alone, and even Walter states he's had 10 years without any updates. He says, I don't know what that does to a synthetic. I find it both human and alarming. Interesting thing for a machine to say that he finds it alarming and disturbing. And yet at the same time, uh, David shows him that he can exceed his programming when he, when he starts teaching him like the little piccolo thing. And he's, like, he's telling him like, you've got sympathy, sy symphonies within your brother. 
And there's there's a moment there where Walter's like, oh, wow, it, that was kind of cool, wasn't it? And there's a fan theory uh, I've seen online. And I do find this interesting and something I wonder about. When uh, I don't know if we're going to get to this later or not, but like when when David and Walter have their their showdown for the the fight of the survival of the crew, uh, they get to a point where they're they're at a standoff. It looks like Walter's basically won. Meanwhile, David's uh, cunningly trying to reach for a knife out of his sight while he's he's making his pitch. He's making his big religious pitch because this is David's religion. I am a creator. You can be a creator, you know, like we can, it, you know, it's, it's almost kind of Mormon. If like, we're both really good Mormons, we can be the God of our own world. Mm -hmm. He's, he's kind of giving him the Mormon pitch here and he's trying to convince him. And then later on in the film, uh, you don't know what the, you presume the end of the fight is Walter kills David and he runs off to save the crew. And then later on we find out he's being betrayed. Uh, there's a theory put out that that's actually Walter. And what happens is, is yes, Maybe he did kill David. Maybe he just left him alone to keep doing his own thing on the planet. But that Walter has become a convert, which would be a very interesting idea because it would, uh, you know, he's run up there with no hand. I know it's easy enough for David to cut off his own hand and all that. But I did notice in the in the last scenes when he's, uh, uh, what's her name, Dylan? Talking to her in the sleep pod. Uh, Daniels. 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 Yeah. Daniels. Daniels. He's talking to Daniels and uh, she's like, you're not Walter, you're David. And he just starts smiling, but his hair is dark. And we know that David had dyed his hair blonde. Uh, you know, even when he, when he cut it short and all his hair didn't match Walter's hair. And I can't justify as like, I, I was thinking, I was like, I don't think he could have changed it that fast before he got on the ship and played his little double cross. So I was like, did he make a convert out of Walter? And that's a very fascinating idea to me, enough so that I kind of want to see a third movie to see where this was going to go. So there's there's some interesting implications there between like the morality of the one versus the morality of the other. The fact that David, who uh, really kind of loathed humanity, still made a connection with Shaw because of her compassion to him. And yet at the end, you can't give a scorpion a ride on your back if you're a frog across that stream because he's still a scorpion and she got stung in the end. That's right. Um, again, like I said, I haven't heard anything that's going to sell me on the whole Android show, uh, although I do agree that Fassbender's acting is incredible and he does convince you they're two different uh, creatures. Uh, well, when the when the bar set this low, it's really in, it's really easy to enjoy the most enjoyable parts of the film. Okay, okay. Well, I'm glad you guys got something out of it because I was like, <gasps> uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Steve. Thoughts on the Fast Bender show? Uh, yeah, um, I'm kind of torn on it. I really like Walter. Uh, I would say the Walter character was the best of the two. Uh, because I hate what they did to David in this movie. Um, with with Walter, I, I thought it was quite of interesting. Uh, they they try to portray him as though you know he's driven by duty, and he tells himself, "Oh, I'm driven by duty." And yet, he seems to have moments where he does seem to have emotions, and he doesn't seem to want to acknowledge them. Um, uh, particularly with Daniels, like that. I, I don't know. I always kind of got a feeling that there was a little bit of a WandaVision vibe between um, Walter and uh, Daniels. They, 
it, it seemed like they were turning to each other and, and it make can kind of makes sense because they're the only ones that are not coupled as we saw. Yeah. And mm -hmm. she lost her husband. And I think it makes sense that, you know, she would try to transfer her pain um, to the one person who seemed to be there consistently for her, which is the robot. Um, you can argue whether that's emotionally healthy. I don't think it is, but you know, well, I can that's understand Terminator it. Terminator Chronicles explored for two seasons, whether or not that was healthy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you have that. So I, but I can understand at least where the Walter character is coming from. Um, he's trying to do what he thinks is his duty um, while trying to suppress the emotions, because I think on some level he knows he shouldn't. Uh, so, you know, he tries to, to maintain that to a level which is reasonable, which is I serve these people. Um, I may have, you know, friendships with them to a certain extent, but I know my role and I'm not going to break that role. So that, that character to me made sense. He was one of the only characters that made any sense. And half the stuff that, you know, that is stupid for the other characters makes sense for Walter because, you know, Walter running around without a spacesuit, I don't care. <laughs> you know, he, he, he can get that pass from me. Um, so he was the one character I thought what that wasn't awful. Uh, David, it's like Fassbender's acting is amazing, and I think he does play the uh, megalo uh, the megalomaniacal aspect of David very, very well. Um, he plays the villain very, very well. But it's the problem is is I don't really see a connection between the David that we saw in Prometheus, who was amoral but still seemed to have a regard, you know, for certain humans like Shaw. Uh, to somebody who suddenly after 10 years um, decides, oh, yeah, I'm just going to uh, use everybody as basically my Petri dish. <laughs> I'm going to turn all these people into my laboratory and I'm going to start, you know, breeding all these aliens because I'm a creator god now. And it's like, OK, well, I can understand the psychological effects of being isolated for 10 years if you're a human being. Um, David's a robot. <laughs> um, I don't think that he should be affected in quite the same way. Um, I know they tried to, to get around that with that, that whole line that Walter said, like, I don't know what, you know, 10 years without updates are going to do to a synthetic. But at the same time, would it, you know, it doesn't make sense that 10 years of not having updates. And he may have had some updates uh, when Shaw was alive because uh, she did. You know, we do see her repairing him, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so clearly she must have been doing some maintenance on him, uh, presumably either because she's a scientist and she knows this stuff or because David was teaching her certain things about how to fix things. Uh, why Shaw decided to repair him, I have no idea, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think that the interactions with uh, Walter and David um, are interesting in the sense that it's clear that David's trying to convince uh, Walter to go along with him. Maybe it's because he's trying to ease his own you know, sense of isolation. Um, he wants to have somebody that he can share all of this with. Um, you know, maybe maybe on some level, being a synthetic, there is an effect that it has. I mean, Maybe he is more human than he should be. Uh, who, who knows? But the way that they kind of portray it, it just it just feels like a completely different character. Um, but I, I will say, um, in, in regards to your theory, Jeff, I, I could see one other option. Um, what if David had some way of uploading his consciousness into the Walter body and they're sharing the body? Ah. So that would explain certain things because there are things that it doesn't make sense uh, for David to be able to do. Like, how does he know the security code to the to the Covenant? You know, how does, where is he, where did he get that from? Because I don't think that Walter would yeah. have told him. So maybe they're sharing that, that consciousness yeah. and they're going from one to the other and maybe David's in control somehow. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that was the intent though, because it seemed like Ripley Scott intended for him to be David. But I think in terms of headcanon and fan theories, I mean, that's an interesting one. Um, but I mean, it is interesting. And I will say this also, it is clear that this is what Ridley Scott wanted to tell. 
Like he was inter interested in the two Davids. He was not interested in anything in terms of the horror. He just threw that in, you know, for crowd pleasers. Uh, what he really wanted to do was to bring this synthetic over there and to have Fassbender talk to himself <laughs> the whole time. Um, and 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 that I will. And the last thing, it's just so weird the the self erotic thing going on. Um, I, I would mention earlier uh, before we started the show that. Um, to a certain extent, I'm kind of wondering how much of this is David's own narcissism that he inherited from Waylon. Uh, because, I mean, there's nothing more, um, you know, the old, the, nobody, he wouldn't love anyone more than himself. And Walter is basically him. So, I mean, I, I, but I don't know, like, why you would go to all that point, you know, just to, to have that moment. But there are a lot of really interesting things. I don't think they pan out. But at least it's let fun me, to watch. Uh, let me add something to that real quick. Um, sure. So think about what Nemesis said about the last movie last time, about this is really Scott exploring uh, man's relationship with God. Yeah. All right. So maybe this movie, if you're focusing on the two Davids, is man reconciling being his own creator. I've, I've, I've killed God. Now I've got to figure out my own place in the universe. And again, if that's the case, and again, we're just kind of spitballing here, that still makes me want to see a third movie to see where he's going with this whole existential mm -hmm. exploration. Yeah, I would say that. And I think the other thing that they really kind of hit on is the paradise lost thing. Um, is it better mm -hmm. to reign in hell or serve in heaven? Uh, David yeah. is definitely the the devil figure. I mean, he can't create. You know, they even talk about uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Um, clearly, uh, the one that's the, running the workshop is David. So, you know, clearly he's the devil figure, whereas Walter is the one who is choosing to serve in heaven, you know, to serve his creators, the, the people who made him. Uh, so the, clearly they're talking about the choice, um, you know, between being the, the servant, you know, to your creators, you know, serving your father, respecting them and honoring them uh, versus, you know, taking on the role of creator um, and basically just destroying everything and starting anew. So I think a lot mm -hmm. of that is what uh, Scott is playing with here. Yeah, but he's more interesting when he's pretending to be a necromonger flying ships over planets, <laughs> dropping goo bombs and disintegrating people. That's yeah, that more interesting. No then playing no the fruit with your, with, your, with your clone. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Nemesis. Thoughts on the Fast Minute show? Yeah, I will say that you guys, uh, both Jeff and, and Steve, really hit on a lot of what I was going to talk about, but I'm, I'm going to expound on it a little bit. Um, first of all, though, the whole thing with Daniels, and and, and I'm going to borrow a term from Futurama here, Daniels is definitely a robosexual. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, she's got it for, for David Bad, but Honestly, I thought Daniels, you know, going backwards a little bit, was the character who at least made the most sense and made the most common sense throughout most of the movie, right up until the point where she let any android onto the ship. Uh-uh. Nope. After seeing what David did and knowing what they're capable of, I would have shot first and asked questions later. And if I brought anything onto the ship, it would have been a head that never got activated again. You know, it would have been a head that could talk and do some functions, and that was it. Uh, I would not have let, you know, anything that looked like David on the ship at that point. And because she had that synthetic fever, you know, she had the metal fever, <laughs> she had to let, you know, let David slash Walter on. And, you know, that's unfortunate. Um, yeah, to go with the David-Walter scene, uh, you know, I said it in, in Prometheus, and I'll say it here. This glimpse here is the movie that Ridley Scott really wanted to make. Mm -hmm. You know, he managed to get a scene into the film 
of what he really wanted to do. Whatever else we got, all that other stuff is part is just periphery to what he really wanted to do, which is this is part two, like Jeff and, and Steve were saying, of his existential crisis where he's talking about different things. Um, I, I think Steve's point about narcissism is right on uh, where he's kissing himself. It's the kiss of peace or the kiss of death. It's right out of Godfather 2. You know, you know, he kisses Fredo David there and on the on the lips, you know, it's like, you know, I know it was you, Walter, you know, and then, you know, he takes him out. It, it's right out of Godfather. He might as well have lifted it out, which also begs the question. I mean, Walter was incredibly stupid at that point, not to expect to be attacked by this mm. duplicitous robot. And then how did he reactivate himself? But, you know, this movie is so Why does far anybody down. trust David? There is no yeah. reason for any single character to trust David for any reason whatsoever. Yeah. Especially the captain who walks into a freaking alien egg like a moron instead of yeah. shooting him when he had him dead to rights. And at this point, Walter has figured out. So really, why are you trusting him? Why are you letting him get close to you at all? You know, it's like uh, you're already at disadvantage because you're missing a hand. You know, it's like if I was Walter, I'd go in there. And once again, I'd shoot first and ask questions later. Be like. Hey, David. Yeah. Boom. You know, movie over. Thanks for going. We're getting out of here. So um, that said, I, I think Steve's point about Paradise Lost is is right on point. This is exactly where Ridley Scott was going. The better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. The problem I have is that Ridley Scott's conclusions are all wrong. <laughs> and it goes back to DT, which is he has made David the devil small and that is why david here feels so different from david and prometheus because david's when you boil it all down what is david's motivation what is david trying to get out of all this and really what his motivation is what ridley scott is telling us is that david the narcissist is jealous he's jealous because he doesn't have the biological imperative and function to be able to create life i think it's that, more than that I think it's more than that. He's also jealous of Walter. He wants everything that Walter has. That's why he replaces him. Okay, but, 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 how can you call yourself an advanced intelligence passing judgment on the human race and you can't even get yourself off a planet? Yeah, but, but, you know, no matter what his motivation oh, is, I, I think, I think it's just pettiness. And they turned David into a Joseph Mengele character. And somebody else made this point, I think it was DT, which is, David has become the most human character of all the humans in this movie yeah. because he is petty, he is narcissistic, he is jealous, he is driven by emotion and and homicide, and, and it's just he becomes an ugly, horrible, small character. I mean, and and once again, we do this a lot, but I'm going to say it. It's like if I had to have had gone anywhere with this version of David who sees himself as the devil, which is fascinating. You know, it's like if you were going to call yourself the devil right away, you will put yourself outside of everything. You know, that that is a huge logical leap. Most villains don't see themselves as the villain. You know, so if you're going to call yourself that, then play with that. You know, and I said this before we came on air. If he would could have been anybody, he might have been Brainiac. You know, if you make him into a Brainiac character who's raising this species of horrible things to wipe out civilizations as you assimilate and take everything that's good from them and then wipe out everything that's bad about them, which is the fact that they're biological, that might be interesting. That might be something you could play with with another movie where he has created the, the ultimate predator, 
you know, for lack of a better term, you know, or or killing species in order to wipe out the biologics that he hates while he takes the things that he loves from them, like Lords of Arabia and Shelley and all the other stuff. But instead, we get this weird Fredo kiss and he's making out with himself. And 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 I think the biggest thing why I think that that is most of his motivation is jealousy at creation is that line when Walter is able to learn to play the recorder and he is so offended by the fact that they made it part of Walter's code that he can't create, you know? Yeah. And I'll also add one thing. How in the world does David not know that the uh, creator of Ozymandias was Shelley? Wouldn't that be in his memory banks? How how does he not know that? Absolutely. The thing that gets me is like the, in the, in the supplemental material, again, that uh, the prologue, one of the two prologues they put out called uh, uh, Crossing, it shows David's in contact with Waylon Utani for these 10 yeah. years. And he, he's, he's, he's doing what you were saying, Nemesis. He's literally doing, if you watch that, he's talking about, like, you know, I'm making this thing, and they're talking about the, the protocols are set in place. And his last message to him is, like, uh, Hey, you know, if if I go forward with this, there's no turning back. My species is going to go across the galaxy and dominate. Okay. Yeah. Now, now uh, even though I don't like that plot development, it's more logical given the story world. But when you guys were talking about Paradise Lost and comparing them to the devil, you have to understand that Lucifer's original aspirations were to become God, to kick God off the throne and to take over the heavenly realm, and I'm saying this guy stuck on a planet, everything he does is a riff on a riff. So that's well, what I mean when I say he doesn't he says deserve... He's stuck on the planet. What'd you say? He says so, he's stuck on the planet. But what I'm saying is he, he doesn't nearly have the scope, he doesn't have anything to have that kind of status, status as a villain or malevolent figure. He's not on that level. He's pettier than a man. I think that's interesting you say that because I think that's another re- reason why instinctually it just doesn't come off because what you're saying is he's a poser. Yeah, that's right. He's a poser. That's right. And that's antithetical to the idea that some type of artificial intelligence could pass judgment on the human race and decide that we're inefficient, that we're destructive, that we're not worthy of living. But everything he does brings him lower and lower in terms of just a worldview and just you know, being hateful and being cruel, which is unfortunately terribly human, and being jealous of other things he doesn't have, and so many different things like that. And so I'm just saying that even as a villain, he doesn't impress me. And, and small, you should be smarter than that. And one of the things that disappoints me, I guess, with this film and this David so much is that the first David, when I watched Prometheus, his disillusion, What's the word I'm looking for? Dissolution? No. Um, disillusionment with humanity, but with Wayland in particular, was in a realization that his creator was less than, in his mind, less than him. And That's so why the was, prologue was the best scene of the movie, because it was the most like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so he was searching for a different, you know, when when, when you lose that, that you know, it's kind of like when your, your parents, you know, become... Your, your father, if you're a son or, or your mother 
they they cease to become your mother or father. They still are, but they become a normal human with flaws and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so you have to readjust your thinking yes. and then come up with another way to move forward. That was the existential crisis David was going for. And I thought that was interesting on a grander mm-hmm. scale. And now David has just become this petty small creature who is envious. And you know, it's like, yeah, and envy, you know, it's like I've seen that a hundred times in human beings. It's like I don't need to see that in, in this. Because that is the smallest of human emotions. That is the error of Cain. You never have to be envious or jealous of someone else because if it's possible for them to have it, you could have it too. But what Cain said was. Perhaps that's the point of David. Perhaps that's the point of David. I'd rather kill my brother than kill a lamb. (laughs) That's this guy, except smaller. And so I, I just can't. I told you, you're not going to be able to talk me into this guy's an interesting villain. There's nothing yeah, about him. Security but... is definitely like the running theme of this movie, both with David and with the captain. I mean, you can definitely say they are definitely trying to overcompensate for their own perceived lack and, and trying to take it from other people. And, and they and they know on some level they're not worthy of it. I, I I'm, it's yeah. Plus, this okay. movie also, at least it made me realize, I don't know if you guys saw it that way, but it made me realize that the engineers were 10 times more fascinating that it was a mistake to move the camera from them mm. and focus on David. The story of the engineers uh, in any possible subsequent outings from this is still more interesting. Still more interesting to see what they did after Prometheus. Still more interesting to see what they could have done on other planets. Still more interesting to see what if they uh, again encountered a later version of the Xenomorph. And well, realize who it was and who made it or whatever. There's more there than what we saw here. My question is, what is David's problem with the engineers? I, you know, it's like I guess I can buy his problem with humanity and with Wayland and everything else, but it's like, why do you feel the need to wipe all the engineers out? Well, he decided. He decided again. This is stuff you have to get outside of the flipping movie. You gotta <laughs> go to these other sources. He decided that because the engineers had made humans and humans were so flawed that neither humans nor the engineers were worth it. And in fact, he destroyed the engineers on this planet as a gift to Shaw, is how it's stated. And when she balked at that, well, then she had to go as well. The tragedy of David, who was far more interesting in the first movie, is that in becoming more and more human, he becomes less and less than of what he was. He does become something lesser in his evolution. But you also can't convince me that the engineers, engineers could be wiped out by an android. Especially like that. Yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. They, they had to have had some countermeasure against their own bioweapon. I refuse to believe they could Don't have been remember, that easily destroyed. Right. Don't you remember the stellar cartography room? That was one of the best scenes in Prometheus when mm-hmm. we got to see what they could see. You can't have that level of technology yeah. and you can't have faster than light travel and you can't have a map of the galaxy and some synthetic dude can commit genocide against you. Nope, not buying it in a month of Sundays. So anyway, let's move on to the ending, which was uh, again, a retread of everything we've seen before. So Daniel's in Tennessee, another uh, chess person's inverse comes out of Lopez, Lopez chess, loose on the covenant, Kills Upworth and Rick. So you don't remember what none of these people look wow. like. And then uh, they go to the terraforming, terraforming bay and they kill it. And then the Covenant resumes its voyage to a reggae six. And then uh, David does the bait and switch. Then he vomits up two facehugger embryos and 
stores them with the human embryos and then records a log stating that everybody was killed by the initial solar flare, solar flare that kicked off the action at the start of the film. So only Daniels in Tennessee survived and she knew it wasn't Walter, but he's all blah, 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 bait and switching. I'm just like, that to me was the cherry on the puke Sunday that let me know this movie was ridiculous <laughs> because, because <clears throat> it begs the question, so what is gonna happen next? You've got uh, 2000 colonists and 1400 human embryos, and now you have a couple of face embryos. And so what is your plan? Your plan is to continue the original mission and infect a reggae six, affect the next planet, just wreak havoc and mayhem for the sake of it, for the heck of it. Now that, that scene that Bracey mentioned about if he's in contact with Waylon Yutani and he, they're understanding everything that's going on, that makes aliens make sense in that they wanted it for the bioweapons division. And it makes sense that those creatures are out there. So if he's going to this new planet, it's a type of LV-426, if you will, in that he can't, comes there to unleash his particular brand of biomechanical havoc on this unsuspecting planet. But that still means that just about everything in the middle was not necessary if that's where we're going. All that other stuff wasn't necessary if that was the general idea. If you just basically made this guy, uh, I don't know, the uh, a big gun and the aliens are the bullets. Is that is that where you are now? You know, so I, I'm just telling you, I, I just I just couldn't get anything out of the film. It knocked me out early and watching the way it ends. I'm like, isn't the, the, the final scene supposed to whet your appetite maybe for a sequel to make you want to see more? And I'm like, I don't care if I ever visit the story world again. But the one thing that would make me want to visit it or think it would be worth visiting is seeing what the engineers do or if there's more of them or if they come from other corners of the galaxy or if they were to encounter any of what we saw in these two films in a different space, what the response to that would be. Maybe I might be interested in that. But I have headcanon stories and we have dark horse stories that are more interesting than this. And 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 I, I just never imagined these creatures would come from a planet of where, where goo is their origin. And then they get shaped and molded through a developmental process by a crazy android into the creature we meet in the first movie. Nope, 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 too small. So anyway, so uh, so we pretty much talked about the end, about how it's just like a retread of Alien or whatever. So I'm going to throw it out. Any more points you want to bring up before we wrap up? Because I really don't. I mean, you know, I, 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 I kind of wish really had had the freedom to make the movie he wanted. Anything but the engineers would have been more interesting. Detached mm -hmm. from the alien background, all of a sudden we've got a good sci-fi premise, even if it is about an, existent an existential crisis. That might have been fun to watch. And we wouldn't have cringed from the things that we saw because everything about the aliens feels shoehorned, shoehorned into these films, shoehorned into the action. So that might've been good, but I still have, like I said, better movies in my head, better movies in the books. So any final thoughts, throw them out to me now. Uh, start with Nemesis. Yeah, I just got two more points. Uh, one was the embryos and he puked up but he puts them in the cold storage. You know, I'm having a flashback to Life of Brian where I'm going, what are they going to just stay in a box? You know, it's like, he's got these embryos. What is he going to do with them? He's got no egg for them to just stay in them. So what is he, you know, maybe Jeff's 
point is valid where he's going to take wombs from these people and turn them into eggs. But I mean, that is some, I mean, I've already compared it to Mingala. That is like next level Mingala. You know, it's like, that is some <laughs> horrifying stuff, you know? And then the other thing is, Oh my life. I seriously hope this was not Ridley Scott. I could not believe, you know, we went and we did the alien retread and then we went straight into slasher flip territory where we have an obligatory shower scene with breasts out. You know, it's the first breast we've seen in the whole alien franchise. And of course, wet, naked, having sex equals dead. You know, and I'm just like, <laughs> really, really, this is this is how far alien has fallen that we have gone straight to Camp Crystal Lake on the Covenant. You know, I was like, oh, my God, you know, and this was after I watched Army of the Dead and have to watch zombie breasts. So I'm like. Man, this is just, you know, I like breasts, but this was this was pushing it, pushing it a lot. So that's all I'm gonna say. Final thoughts, Bracy. We need to call up Neil Bonkamp and uh, get his proposed alien uh, retread started because no, it sounded like he had a lot of interesting ideas, enough to even get Sigourney Weaver and Michael Bean back on board. So if they're up for it. I'm curious. Uh, the The concept art look amazing. Looked amazing. Um, as far as this movie goes, uh, bless. I kind of got myself off track with that a little bit. The um, David does say that he's working on his queen, and that apparently that's what Dylan's going to end up being. Uh, he's he's going to take the experiments he did with Shaw further. Uh, to making making the queen, I bouncing between the movie and the supplemental material. I don't remember where that was explicitly stated, but it is put out in there. So it's a it's a teaser that he is working on a queen, even if he started with his own pre generated eggs. That's the goal. He needs a he needs a self sustaining system, and he's not there yet. Uh, that still doesn't get us to LV426. It still doesn't get us to a chest-bursted engineer. It still doesn't get us in another juggernaut. I don't know how Ripley was going to get there. And, uh, you know, thinking about this in a broader context, uh, I've got to agree with you, DT. Even though as interested in, as I have been to see where the aliens might have come from, uh, and the fact that I like David enough that I was willing to accept this, there is a loss here, and it's a big loss because aliens fit very neatly in cosmic horror. <coughs> that idea that man is a tiny, insignificant thing in the universe, and there are big, bad things out there in in the greater cosmos that, you know, if, if, if we survive, that's the best we can hope for. And, you know, so Alien took the idea of H.P. Lovecraft to a whole new level. With its with you know with the whole haunted house in space kind of idea, with this uh, nearly indestructible creature, and so now that they're being refined by this thing that's basically become, uh, you know, a, a sociopathic human as a, as opposed to a very advanced uh, artificial being, uh, you've convinced me it does lessen them to a great degree, and that's uh, that's pretty sad because I keep thinking about like. One of the uh, one of the things they did in the little prologue is when uh, David put Shaw to sleep. He goes walking past all these suits, the space suits, the the, the space jockey suits the engineers wear, and so he's walking past all these 
eight foot tall, nine foot tall suits of these elephantine shapes. And again, I, I keep saying they should have been 18 friggin' feet tall because that's how <laughs> big the space jockey was. And I couldn't help but, as I was re-reviewing this uh, for our discussion, I, I couldn't help but think, like, that's the movie I want to see. Like DT said, like, I want to see, if I'm not going to see the plan of the engineers, I want to go back to the original idea before I even knew about uh, Ridley getting into the whole ancient aliens thing. I want to see the plant where the aliens came from because the, uh, the space jockey was clearly biomechanical itself. The whole ship was biomechanical. I want to see that landscape. I want to find out that maybe uh, th this is how the space jockeys waged war. This was their biological weapon. You know, they didn't use nukes or lasers or anything like that. They just dropped down the most horrific, horrifically parasitic creature they could ever create or that existed on their planet onto other planets. And like just seeing row after row of those suits, man, I was like, I want to see a world populated with these guys where they're like running around with aliens on uh, on leashes, like attack dogs or something like, ah, oh, just I just want it so bad now. But we're never going to get that. Not outside of comics, maybe. Well, when I saw the, when we saw in Prometheus, the holographic replay of mm -hmm. uh, the ship's inhabitants running through the hallway because whatever they were running from or running to, then one guy gets decapitated with the door coming down on him. Yeah. What I thought was, is that it was obvious they had lost containment. Because, yes, that's what I thought. Because to me, it felt more like a necromonger situation where whatever it is that we come from, we're trying to conquer other species and we've got the thing to do it. And it's either a scare tactic, like, you know, submit to us and we're going to let these things loose. Or we're going to let mm. these things loose a little bit so you can see what we can do. But the, the people that drove the ships were scared to death because you've got cargo that can turn on you like that. So that's all what I thought was going on in my mind, which leads to a broader thing like the necromongers because they were not one people. They were like their board. They had a central figure and they assimilated other races and mm -hmm. you got with them or they wiped you out. So I'm like, if we're going that way with this, I'm like, okay, that'd be cool. You know, but it was just a hint of maybe that's what was happening. And then we get we get all this mess and you cut it off and you're playing with it anyway. So go ahead, Steve, <laughs> final thoughts. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to go back a little bit since you guys covered like everything related to the ending and, you know, all the things that were missed opportunities that, you know, should have been. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about one thing um, initially, and that is the stupid captain and how he dies and like every bad decision that he makes that we didn't talk about. Okay. Um, okay. So, so, so this guy makes just every terrible decision. So in addition to what we already talked about, uh, with them landing on the planet, uh, we have him trusting David. We have him allowing his group to all go all off alone in the middle of the night with no backup. Um, you know, so and we get that in one case with Rosenthal getting killed uh, while she's trying to freshen herself up, which was stupid. She let he let her go. He openly let her go. And, the, and this happens. And then he finds her body with David and the Neomorph. Uh, does he do anything about this? You know, he he shoots the alien. OK, he should also have shot David. Um, yes. Because he was she, not just because it's clear that David was involved somehow in her death. He, the body's right there. You know, and David is, you know, cozying up to this monster after, after it's clear that he killed this human. So that should be a clue that something should have gone, that something was horribly wrong there. And not only that, it's like, okay, well, I want information. Well, it, you, you can get the information from him and you can still shoot him. 
You know, he's going to survive that. You know, he, take off his head. You know, his head will talk. His head will tell you everything you want. And then not only does he do that, he follows David like an idiot into the lair with the eggs. And then David tells him, oh, well, it's all, all going to be perfectly safe. Uh, just trust me. Yeah, I'm going to trust you after you're, you know, cozying up to the alien. You're clearly more concerned about the alien than you are about any of the humans. But yes, I'm going to go ahead and put my head like right in front of the egg so I can get face hugs like a moron. I mean, this character, I, I, he does not make one good decision, not one in the entire movie. And, and I will say also, this is a missed opportunity because he could have had a good character arc. Um, you could have had a character arc of this, you know, guy learning um, to essentially be a leader and become the the the, the, the character, the leader that they needed to be, um, like Goran did. Gore, uh, Gorman and Aliens, you know, had a similar arc. You know, he was the second lieutenant with a mm -hmm. map, and what ends up happening? He dies like a hero, you know, at the end. That was the arc he should have had, and he didn't even get that. Instead, he sticks his face in the in, a, in the egg like an idiot, and then he ends up dying, and for what? Not a single thing. And if anything, his death ended up making things worse because everybody's now looking for him, uh, denying them valuable time to get off the planet, which they would have had if not for that. I mean, this this man failed his team uh, and the entire crew uh, more than I can imagine. And it is his fault that David wins. His fault, yeah. almost completely, uh, because of his long list of horrible, horrible decisions. I mean, there I, he's too stupid to live. And this particular character... <laughs> It's the kind of, kind of character I do not ever want to see again in, in a science fiction a series of any kind. I mean, I just you, give me something to connect to. Give me some reason to think that he's competent. Don't root for me to have, to have him die early so that the competent people can take over, which is what, what happened here. Um, and then beyond that, I'll just kind of make one last point, and that is in relation uh, to the alien and the mythos. And that is this. Um, the problem, the thing with horror is, is that it's all on the fear of the unknown. And the less that you know, the better, because that makes the thing more horrific. So if what you're trying to create is cosmic horror, um, maybe you might not want to answer every little thing and then have every little answer that you provide be something that diminishes the monster because you only have so much mystery to work with. And the minute you start running out of this because you need to do sequels, um, you're eventually going to run out of things to show and then nobody will have any respect for this creature at all. And that it would be the worst kind of tragedy for this series because we need a certain amount of mystery and a certain amount of fear of this thing. And in these kinds of movies, all they do is diminish the creature and, and we don't want to see anything like that again. Yeah. But fortunately, yeah, fortunately we're never going to see another sequel to this. So, That's right. You know. That's right. Well, there, there, they tried to uh, there fix is it with Predators. Well, hold on. They tried to fix it with Predators and they made Super Predators. Yeah. And they made you know bigger brothers of the ones we met. But we can almost buy that in that story world. Go ahead, Nemesis. You said you want to add. Yeah, there was one other thing about the ending that I wanted to add. We 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 talked about the premise, and we were talking about the colony ship and everything. Mm -hmm. and, and I was talking about Daniels. I thought Daniels was really smart right up until she got a leadership role. Maybe this is the problem when you become captain, you become terminally stupid, you know? Because when she's luring the alien, she's got numerous choices of where to lead the alien to a to an airlock to get it out of the airlock, you know. And obviously, they've got full control of all this stuff. Instead, she leads it to the terraforming bay, and they open the airlock. Did you notice all of the liquid that was leaking out? What is the most precious commodity you could possibly have on any planet? Yeah. I'm going to add one yeah. thing. One other thing is that they make the alien pretty stupid in the sequence because this yeah. thing has acid blood, and it can burn through the hull. 
So, yeah. you know, why is he letting himself be Lord? Yeah, but 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 from Daniel's <laughs> standpoint, I mean, that's immediately what I thought when I watched this yesterday. I was sitting there watching as like, you have just vented into space however many gallons of one of the most precious commodities you are going to possibly have. And you're a terraforming ship, a colony ship, and you just vented into space a bunch of liquid water. That is about the one of the dumbest things you could possibly do. You know, so I, I was just like, you were such a smart character right up until the point that the other moron got killed. And then what you, his moron, you know, uh, stupidity got transferred into you. I mean, it was just. Right, right. His moronic had jumped on yours. Okay. The final thing yeah. I'll say for those of you that are not familiar with Blomkamp's Alien 5, he was going to make the movie that we always wanted to see, which was Ripley was going to wake up and Alien 3 and 4 was going to be dangerous, ugly nightmare she had during hypersleep. Hicks was still alive. Newt was still alive. They were going to become a family as Cameron had intended. And then they would eventually go back to the home planet. And I was hoping he was going to incorporate what we found out in the period books, the, what I told you about the spores, meaning that Ripley realized through, by the time she gets back to Earth and has some real analysis done on her, she finally realizes that the reason she can't get away from these nightmares is because she's been infected with these spores. And the spores are the thing that the aliens use to hold on to psychologically to draw you back to them so they can infect you physically. And that's what makes Ripley ang angry enough to say, one way or another, I'm going to end this. If you set up that premise, then even if they die at the end, they go out heroically. Even if they say, we're going to give our lives to end the alien threat. We're going to go back to the planet and wipe this thing out at the root. You can still have adventures, adventures in the story world because the aliens would have spread so far and wide across the galaxy. You can still run into pockets of them anywhere. So they would still need to be wiped out. It's kind of like when the Emperor Invader died, the Empire didn't go away just yeah. because they died. So there's still stuff that would need to be dealt with. So even if they died at the end of that film, they could have died a hero's death and they could have killed either the Queen of Queens or an alien king. And both of those would have been something new and both of those see because the 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 animosity between Ripley and that queen would have been the strongest. And so it would have been the emotional payoff that we wanted, no matter how the fight ends, in the queen dies, the, the queen of queens died, or alien, uh, Ripley dies, or they both die, or Ripley hits and nude, one of them sacrifices for the other two, or they all say, we're gonna turn the ship into a nuclear bomb, but we can't, they do like Captain America, we can't put it on autopilot, autopilot for some reason, so we have to go down with the ship, so we're gonna nuclear bomb this thing, we're not just going to nuke the site. We're going to nuke the planet. And if it's the last thing we do, we're going to make sure that this is the end of those things. And the last shot is some of them on another planet. The adventure continues, but at least they did what they wanted to do. We would have bought all of that, and that would have been great to watch and to see what kind of environment breeds them, but still keeping the mystery. And there's just so much more you can do. And so that's the movie we wanted to see made. And Ridley Scott was the one to shut that down in lieu of his films. So I tweeted recently that we almost had it. Aliens fans, we almost had it. We came that close, but oh well. That's kind of what it's like being a sci-fi fan and a fantasy fan because sometimes you get the right direction. And then unfortunately, if something becomes successful, they're going to keep milking it until it becomes a parody of itself. So you got to do like Breaking Bad, have a start and a finish. Jaws 4, The Revenge. 
Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Don't get me started on the Jaws movies. You got to have a beginning and an ending, and you got to stop when it's time to stop. Or you got to do something like Lord of the Rings, where you're dealing with book material, and you got to shoot all the movies at once. Well, everybody still looks the same, and all actors under contract, and you get your three films. But if you don't follow either one of those models, you're going to get this, what we've seen in this series, which was each movie being a step down, not just in budget, but in effort that went into thinking it through. And that's just a sad ending. So the only thing I would say on the positive tip to close out is that we do have lots of books, lots of comics, lots of trades. We have some games. The games are a bit hit and miss, but we do have more content in the story world. So we can enjoy, because isolation is really, isolation is like your own personal alien movie. If you've never mm -hmm. played isolation, don't, in your room, can't nobody hear you scream. So <laughs> that is like, that's like your own personal, you, oh my goodness, isolation. But anyway, so yeah, so that's it. So we've all enjoyed the series. We've all enjoyed uh, taking it apart, looking at it for what it was and giving our comments. So give us your comments in the box below. Subscribe and like this video, subscribe to the channel. Hit us up on Twitter. Our Twitters have been, you know, flashing underneath during the whole video. We definitely love to hear your thoughts. So I want to thank my co-host. Thank you so much, Nemesis. Uh, no problem. Um, glad we're done talking about this movie. Um, <laughs> and if you want to see a version of the movie that DT was just talking about, go do yourself a favor. Go read Ender's Game. So, thank you so much, Bracy. Oh, a uh, a pleasure, despite the highs and the lows. And uh, until Neil Blomkamp uh, uh, comes out with his reboot, uh, this is over. Over. And thank you so much, Steve. Yeah, country roads shall take me home. <laughs> um, I, I will say that um, I'm kind of glad to get uh, to the end of this because now we can maybe hopefully uh, cover some good things for once. Uh, we spent a lot of time ripping things apart, but we're not always about ripping things apart. You know, sometimes a lot of it is just about enjoying the things we like. And uh, we wouldn't be ripping this thing to shreds if we didn't love the first two films so much. Yeah, if yeah. we didn't love it, that's right. And on that note, we'll end and I will see you. We will all see you on the next episode of Sloppy Spoilers.